Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Ape Shit Podcast. Uh, I promised you a guest in the first episode, so I've looked high and low for someone suitable, and I've found someone uh, that I think you'll like, that I was able to have a fairly um, interesting, if not slightly hostile, conversation with. So, I won't spoil who it is yet, even though you can clearly see it in the video title, so, and I'll, uh, I'll let him introduce himself as we get into the interview. Right, okay, so we're here with the first guest of the podcast. If uh, those of you that tuned in for the first episode will remember that I promised you a guest for episode two, so I've been diligently searching high and low for a guest the past couple of weeks. I went as far as the barren plains of Africa, and there I found a man sat in the middle of nowhere with a laptop, efficiently optimizing websites and getting people consistently first page rankings so hello how's it going how's it going Trev you're all right, mate yes I'm very well so uh, this is Kyle Kyle is my business partner we uh, run Guerrilla Marketing together Kyle actually founded Guerrilla Marketing a couple of years before I came in didn't you mate yeah that was our birthday the other day we um, started on the 11th of March 2015 there you go so Kyle, so what's that? Six years. Six years. Six yeah. years of guerrilla marketing action, and um, I thought this would be a really good opportunity to speak about ourselves and hope, <laughs> <laughs> and hope that people care enough to listen for forty-five minutes. Um, but more to the point as well, like I'm quite conscious of making sure that those of you that are listening are taking some sort of value away. So obviously, we're going to treat this as an opportunity to tell our story, talk a little bit about you know, how we got from starting out, you know, as a small agency together to having 12 staff and, and the journey that, you know, what that process was over a two and a half year period. Um, but also really what I want to share is like the lessons that we've learned along the way. And Kyle's had a lot of input on, you know, the structure of this podcast and, and sharing some of the lessons and some of the takeaways that other, you know, if you're just a startup agency right now or you're a small agency, two or three people, then I feel there's probably a lot of lessons and mistakes that we've made over the past two years that hopefully we can save you making um, and we can share the lessons that we've learned along the way. So... First of all, mate, should we talk about when we first met all those years ago? Well, it was the year 2010, and it was in Ashton Underline, in the Nando's on Ashton Moss. That is where we met. Yeah, so after college, I got a job working at um, Nando's Chicken Restaurant. I was a griller. They wouldn't let me near the customers. <laughs> they said, rightly so. <laughs> They said I had a temper. I set about a man with a, a chicken drumstick and they never, they never let me near the customers again. But yeah, so I was working at um, Nando's restaurant just after college and you were working during, you were on a gap year or something, weren't you, at uni? Yeah, um, I left South Africa, uh, basically, yeah, as you said, a gap year, and then was uh, in, enthralled by the, the luxuries that Ashton had to offer. So I decided to stick around for a bit longer. And... Um, yeah, I think you and me during that time, we got quite close in that. And then, um, yeah, I was, uh, well, probably worked there, what did I do, about two years, just under two years. Yeah, I think both of us worked there for about two years. So you mentioned the luxuries that Ashton had to offer. Do you want to just rattle a few of them off for me? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll save for a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll save you some time. They had uh, a Betfair and a Greg's. 
That's all you need. And a Nando's, yeah. That's all you need. So we were working there together, obviously, for a couple of years. And then it was purely by chance, I think, that we both left and went off on our own individual directions. Um, and I ended up getting into digital marketing sim through an apprenticeship. You went back to South Africa to continue studying, right? And then it sort of by one way or another, you was you was you owned a restaurant over there or something, right? Yeah. So, uh, long story. Um, basically, the first business that I ever started it was a logistics and um, freight company. We were transporting uh, things like. Um, toilets and uh, ventilation systems and that from Johannesburg to the Congo and um, we're doing that probably about six or seven months and managed to um, to secure a couple of like really decent contracts and as a result a, a guy that we knew through uh, the industry uh, his name was Kiri Kiri he um, uh, offered to to buy us out basically um, just to secure the contracts that he'd he'd failed to to secure Myself and uh, my business partner at the time, we both had a lot of experience in restaurants, or, or so we thought. Obviously, um, I worked at, at Nando's, so I thought, yeah, I can obviously own and manage a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, about three months later, we were absolutely skint. And um, yeah, with, in, the, in the process of all of that, um, was looking into, into how to, um, to rank on Google. I thought, obviously, that you know, if people are searching restaurants, Cape Town, or, or something to that effect, that it would um, it would bring more customers through. So, obviously, always knew the intrinsic value that uh, ranking high on Google had. Uh, it was just then a case of of actually understanding how the algorithm worked, and you know what what is rewarded, and then from there, um, yeah, I started this this whole journey, and here I am, sat with you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so like you started getting into SEO when obviously you were still in South Africa and I think at that point we kind of realized that we'd even though we'd known each other when we was working at the restaurant together, I call it the restaurant, so I don't have to keep, I don't have to keep saying Nando's. Yeah, I used to work at a restaurant after college. Hmm, don't you mean Nando's? <laughs> Technically it's not a restaurant. Um, it's more of a, just a building with a microwave in it. <laughs> um, the chicken shack. Yeah, so we... Obviously, we knew each other from there. You moved back to South Africa and ended up getting into SEO. Um, and then we got back in touch, didn't we, and started talking about, like, I was obviously working at an SEO agency at that point. Um, we ended up getting back in touch. We had a little bit of a falling out, didn't we, mate? Yeah, I'll, I'll hold my hands up to that one. I was uh, I was a bit naive. Um, do you know, I wasn't, I wasn't long in it. I think at that time, um, I thought my ability to sell SEO probably exceeded my ability to do SEO. Um, and yeah, I, I think I just overpromised and and underdelivered. It was a it was a lesson hard learnt. I mean, um, after after that, I mean, you just started out. You'd taken my word for it and gone to your new boss and basically relayed my promises. Yeah. My mate's gonna sell loads of <laughs> SEO forums in South Africa, boss. Can we make him a website for free, please? And he went, Yeah, okay. You know, he's not gonna let you down, is he, Danny? I went, No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh wait, I got a minute. He's not answering the phone anymore. <laughs> Well, that sums it up perfectly, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I went to that little rabbit hole. I think I focus more on the actual discipline of it. I realized that, um, you know, people are, but if, if you don't know what you're talking about, they, um, they, 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 if you're trying to sell sell something and you don't really know what you're talking about, it's easy to pop holes and then you become less credible. Yeah. So I um, 
I just really focused on learning the stuff and then inadvertently I just really fell in love with with the industry what uh, you can do um, do you know there's there's loads of people that I follow and even though I've not met a lot of them like weirdly consider them friends because I watch the YouTube and they just give such insightful um, you know test results and just insight into the industry and how to how to rank websites and how to um, you know benefit the clients at the end of the day too so yeah uh, I think it went well we went about 18 months or so before we reconnected yeah and um, I, I sent you a couple of emails obviously tell between my legs I'd moved back to Manchester then and um, yeah I, I think we we flirted with the idea of meeting up a couple of times which fell through and then I told you about uh, guerrilla marketing and then uh, radio silence for a while until um, you spotted guerrilla marketing ranking for SEO Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, all right, right, mate. Hi, <laughs> hey, mate. You're right. You haven't any clients for me, have you? No, it's a good point. But I think, you know, when you see something like that, SEO is very much like a, one of those things where, you know, unless you... Unless you're on the inside, if you if you're someone on the outside of a website, you know it's kind of it's what it's like. You've got to just say prove it, haven't you? Yeah. All right, all right. You might be good at SEO. Prove it. Let's see something on the front page. Like plenty of people that we know say yeah. that they're good at SEO, but it's like, well, show me something then. Show me on some. Show me show me, show me something on the front page that's you know a high competition keyword, and exactly. ranking ranking the website for a keyword like SEO Manchester even though it's a local keyword, it's incredibly high competition because the density of digital marketing agencies in the city centre is high. Yeah. So, you know, it's no wonder that a lot of potential clients search a keyword like that and then will use that almost as like a proof of concept that you're a decent agency because of the, you know, 30, 40 agencies in the city centre, you're yeah, one of the select well. few that's able to maintain a, a top spot ranking. Exactly, yeah. So... Yeah, I think that's kind of how we ended up coming back together is like obviously you've really honed your craft at SEO and I think, you know, after we got back in touch and we started to, you know, discuss like collaborating on some client projects, even though I was still working full time at a big brand as the head of SEO there. Yeah, I think I skipped that a bit there. You you were talking about you at that that agency and Oh the- yeah, I mean I worked at that agency overworked and underpaid for about six or seven years, and then I ended up being the head of SEO at a big, um, well, probably a household name automotive brand in the UK. I was the head of SEO there for about four years, but towards the end, I started to explore the idea of freelancing. I was looking for something more, you know, I was looking at maybe setting up like a lifestyle agency where I was able to just have a few clients on the side, earn what I was earning as a full-time living, but maybe only work a few days or I was toying with the idea of working abroad. I think everyone that starts to toy with the idea of freelancing originally has this idea of becoming, I think what they call a digital nomad, yeah. where you've got your Mac and your backpack and um, you go and, you know, work from cafes and that sort of thing in Thailand and, and you work on the beach and all this stuff. I don't think it really ever ends up that way. But, you know, I think at that time you were getting a lot of leads in for SEO, uh, through your ranking for yeah. SEO Manchester. You were getting so many leads in. And I think like the ones that were just basically overspill, you just started to send my way. Um, and I think that's how we ended up kind of getting back in touch. I was like, oh, okay, obviously he's actually doing all right here. And like, I know what I'm doing and he knows what he's doing. But I think when... You know, I was as a result of that. I was actually able to leave my full time role as a, a for all these 
leads that he was giving me for freelance work. Um, so when I left my full-time role, or as I was approaching the time where I was about to leave my full-time role, I think we, we just basically said, well, why don't we just go in together? Because my speciality within SEO is much more the creative um, side of it and the digital PR side of it. Yeah. and the video optimization and all that side and your side is very much like the web development technical side of SEO and yeah. building out these websites with huge convoluted tech, uh, architecture and stuff like that so it was very much like complimentary wasn't it and yeah, it kind of seemed silly for me to try and get by as a creative specialist and you to try and get by as a technical so we just decided to yeah say fuck it and go in together right that's pretty much it I mean before we'd even got to that point you said you were leaving your job um like, which was uh, understandable and then we, we were we spent like a week working in the same bloody office together I was renting a, a small little office uh, for I think it was like 250 quid a month just um, near Cornbrook um, and I mean you would you just came to work there and then I think on your first week on the Friday nights I think we'd we'd went to the Atlas bar we'd had a few and we were like what the fuck are we doing like yeah do you know why aren't why are two competitors sat in the same office yeah yeah <laughs> two people yeah, exactly. <laughs> two seo agencies sat in the same office giving each other advice and collaborating on the, the their own clients in their respective sort of blind spots so yeah that's kind of how it happened isn't it and then yeah. i think we better move swiftly into actually giving people some sort of value now before we uh we go yeah. into speaking about ourselves with with no kind of value for over four, 13 minutes. So obviously since that point, since we went into together, mate, yeah. we've gone from being the two of us to being what, 12 of us? Yeah, 12, uh, with a couple of, you know, consistent freelancers who are yeah. not technically on the books, but you know, um, they're just on a retainer. Yeah, because like the kind of workload that we require from people, for example, like, um, you know, additional content writers and that sort of thing, it kind of fluctuates. So. It makes sense for us in that respect. But the journey that we've gone on from being two people to 12 people, I mean, I, you know, there are agencies out there, particularly like people that have come up on the radar recently, like Rise at Seven. They've yeah. grown phenomenally quickly. And it's no surprise, really, like if you actually look at the way that they've gone about creating hype and getting like PR coverage and going viral on social media by like, you know, they take an image of something that's trending. Like um, there was a B and Q thing the other day where B and Q went under a bridge that was too small, and then they turned that into a Diorex advert where it's like, oh, when you can't fit it, lube it or something like that. Which, while it is creative and it, technically it works, it did make me gag in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> but that said, you know, if they've scaled their agency from, I think it was something like a, you know under ten people to seventy odd staff in the period of eighteen months, they're obviously doing something right. So whilst we're not growing at that level I feel that there was a lot of fundamental lessons and a lot of mistakes that we had to make as a, as a partnership yeah. so that we didn't you know if we had have grown from you know under 10 people to 70 odd people we would have made some big fucking mistakes along the way I think oh, yeah. if we'd have if we'd have had that rate of growth so I feel that our rate of growth is appropriate for the level of you know business savviness that we had at the time and I feel that you know, obviously we're taking steps now to kind of fill in those blanks with people like Agency Nomics and Cactus and, and that sort of thing and some of the consultants that we're working with there. But, you know, it's just interesting to see that 
even in a two and a half year period, going from two people to 12 people is very realistic, given like some of the huge mistakes we've made along the way as well. Yeah. I mean, we've lost a few people that weren't right for us along that journey as well. So we could have just as easily been, you know, 15 staff if that wouldn't have been the case. So why don't we talk a little bit about um, each of the kind of landmarks or stepping stones that we've done from getting from where we were back then with just two of us in a little back bedroom office to where we are now, 12 staff in a, in a uh, nice big spacious office in the Northern Quarter. So uh, first office, uh, Chester Road, uh, just there by Cornbrook, as you said, it, uh, basically it was, it's a beautiful Victorian terrace that's been converted into offices. I can't, can't fault it at all for what it is. Um, uh, like obviously we went in for it, but I think our first mistake was um, the almost a necessity that we felt to because we, we picked up a few clients and stuff and just a necessity you and me felt to to hire staff um the and the way that we went about it we thought the ideal way would be apprenticeships and we thought that at the time if we were to to bring on two or three of the right apprentices and you know train them up to our level we'd be able to first of all get a, a good deal as a business owner at the start in regards to to wages they would have a good handshake in the sense of learning from two really experienced industry experts so we thought it was a fair a fair shake so to speak in that sense and um we that's sort of what we i don't want to say pinned our growth strategy on but it was like how we saw our first employees coming in through the door and um credit to us like our best content writer is still with us and came in that way but there were a couple of um, people who joined us who just weren't weren't the right fit. Um, I, I, th I think some fault lies with probably me more um, in as an agency owner. Um, I don't think because um, I'd been working for two and a half, three years just on my lonesome, and I, I'd had a certain way of working. I don't think I was accustomed to going from a, a small room just with me to you know a small room with four or five people in it and I think maybe that wasn't right for us maybe if we'd moved into a place where we had more space um before that growth had happened perhaps um you know I wouldn't have lost my temper a couple of times at, <laughs> at things always in private never at the staff but yeah. I, I think I had a few proper vents about just um the headaches and stuff so I think that would be one thing um that I'd look back on with you, I mean, it would, should we have put in, because uh, I mean, it was before kids and all of this, should we have put in more hours and, you know, sacrificed um, hiring staff so that we could get a bigger space and then bring the staff in? That's just something that, you know, in hindsight, we probably would be worth weighing up. Um, but do you, do you think it was a problem with the size of the space or do you think it was more that, you know, that perhaps the... I'm not going to use the word mistake, but one of the potential issues was that we decided to hire two people with no experience that had the sort of the right sort of talent. And because I only knew that model from the agency that I worked at when I first came into it, it was like, well, you can just take apprentices on and train them up and start them as content writers, then teach them basic optimization. And like, if you look at most agencies, even though they act like it's not, most agencies, their business model is put a few people at the top that have got industry experience, someone that's like a sales type guy, someone that is a really well-rounded, experienced SEO, maybe someone that's in PR, 
and then the business owner, and then the rest are all fucking juniors. Like yeah. most of the time, you're like for for a lot of the clients that come to us, and like we've been in the industry long enough to know this, and I've got a lot of contacts at different agencies. Most a lot of agencies are a few experienced people at the top, then loads of fucking juniors just churning all the hours out, and we yeah. kind of intentionally avoid that model now. Whereas we don't have as many staff as a lot of agencies, but we tend to aim for more like fewer staff but more experienced people yeah. that are able to almost like fully service a client between two or three people rather than having six juniors and then one person at the top pulling all yeah. the strings. So do you think that the actual issue there was that the, the space wasn't big enough and that was stressing you out? Or do you think the issue was is that we just didn't have the fucking time or patience to train two people that didn't have experience? Like, looking back at it, in my opinion is, is that we really needed... Not, and we, I don't think we really had this until later on, but I think we needed people at that stage that could just come in and be a third one of us where they're like yeah. you know what i've been doing seo six years and if we did just save that money up got a yeah. couple of more clients and go right okay bang is is a you know the salary that you're expecting that you're after now there's three of us and i think we eventually did do that yeah um, I think well, that was what that was the next thing we did after that didn't work out um yeah we our next sort of when we shrunk back down our next step forward was um, was Dave, so yeah, I think yeah, that's that's a really good, really good perspective on it. Um, okay, so let's say that then. So get your notepads out, get your pens, or your um, get your iPads out and open the iPad. notes app. <laughs> so either the lesson though, and we don't know for sure, <laughs> but either the lesson is don't pack too many people into a small tiny office, or if you're impatient or you're used to working by yourself or you haven't got the time or the, like I say the patience to actually train someone from scratch even if they've got the right talent just don't hire a, a junior as your first hire like hire someone that can come in and give you full support because chances are you're probably going to need to start focusing on sales I would say okay right that was a seamless edit do you reckon <laughs> they noticed I don't think they noticed we were singing um Toto. Toto Africa in between that edit, weren't we? Yeah. Go on, sing it. The rains come down in Africa. Right, stop, stop. <laughs> I don't, you don't sing ever again on this podcast. <laughs> um, right, okay, so the next thing that we did is we were getting a little bit busier um, and we were making some decent money, so we decided to take a punt on getting a city centre office because one of the main things, or like one of the main issues we were having with the office we were in there wasn't really a dedicated meeting space and even if even if it did have a dedicated meeting space it wasn't really a space that you'd want to be inviting potential customers back to like it was great and the owners were great and everything we had a real good relationship with them but you know once you start to pitch on you know deep you know big brands for their seo campaign we have the skill set and the staff to actually deliver on that campaign but I think people just have certain expectations when they come in and they, they view the space that you're in. I think it says a lot about where you are as an agency and what you're willing to spend and how you treat your staff. And the building that we were in, you know, it, it, it didn't really tick the boxes in terms of like people coming in and having a nice customer journey. So we went and viewed um, WeWork offices, didn't we, in St. Peter's Square, which That's is a right. really, really good location. It had a tram stop right outside. It was had a, a view of Manchester Library. It just seemed like a really sort of upmarket um, bit of real estate and um, maybe talk a little bit about the space that we ended up with in there, the two separate ones. Yeah, so 
I mean, Trev summed it up perfectly, the reasons why we needed to move. We'd, um, to be fair, we'd signed a really big client just by going to their offices. Um, I, th- I think we were very comfortable in the quality of the work that we were doing and we knew that, do you know, that they were secured for a long time because they saw like really improved organic results and um, had signed an extension and that. And we, we, we just took the plunge, really. Um, we viewed, weirdly, we viewed the actual building that we're in now. Um, and yeah, it's, why didn't we take this one? Do you remember? Um, th- no, I don't remember. Oh no, I do remember. It's because um, we changed the owner. I, I, they, you, I, they changed the fucking, what's the name of it? Where they, ch- they put my name on the thing. So the VAT got. Oh, that's right. It? Yeah, no, it was basically, we were waiting for invoices to, uh, to clear. And, um, we had to reissue all the invoices with a new VAT number of summer, right? Yeah, we basically just couldn't put the deposit down on the place. So we had like three three months worth of invoices overdue because it fucking took forever for the new VAT number to come in or something. That's right. Yeah. So anyway. yeah. Anyway, we um, my, one of my best mates. He um, he had an office in St Peter's Square and um, managed to to get Trev. I was very on the pricey side, but managed to get Trev to um, to come and have a look with us. And I think it was. For the time, it was love at first sight, wasn't it? And we, the, the the main thing for it too was because we obviously we had an organic presence and we were getting contacted by, do you know, like some some really good small to medium businesses, you know, who had a budget to really push us to the next level. But we were sort of losing them in the right. Okay, we'll come around yours and we'll meet the team. And it was sort of like mm, we don't we don't really want to do that, do we? Yeah, so, we was having to put people off like, oh, you know, we're in between moving offices at the minute. Can we come and see you? And I think, you know, like if there's something to take away from this, I think it is. I'm not sure how, how this advice is going to go down during COVID. I feel like this was really good advice 12 months ago. <laughs> but right now, I haven't got a fucking clue if it's gonna if this is going to be applicable. Let's let's just assume that everything's going to go back to normal and the apocalypse is coming to an end, right? But I think the takeaway point here is like if you're quoting for a medium to large size brand, they're going to have expectations of you in terms of like what your offices look like. Uh, what their journey's going to be like when they come to see you. But if they're going to come and visit you in the city centre, you know, can you provide parking in the building that you're in? Like, that's one really good thing about the WeWork we were at is we had, like, an underground parking as part of our fee. They was like, yeah, drive in. We've got an underground car park. Come up, you know, if you come for an afternoon meeting, the beer taps come on at three. You know, why don't you stay after the meeting and have a couple of pints with us? You know, it's got beer pumps and free coffee and there's a ping pong table and yeah. whilst all of this stuff is very surface level and it's a little bit you know when you actually work in that space it'd be good you don't you never no one ever uses the fucking ping pong table no. it's just there but to someone that's just popping in for the first time it's like oh oh this is a really young dynamic digital marketing space wow like and they feel like part of it. and it's like you know that's nice and everything and it's part of the sales process really it's it's the reason that i suppose uh a salesman never turns up in a in an old banger car. Like salesmen always turn up to a pitch in a nice car with nice a nice rangy. with a nice range, yeah, a nice Range Rover and a nice watch and all this stuff. And whilst that seems quite, um, you know, we're not that sort really, are we? It seems quite vapid to me. But yeah. you know, a lot of people do buy into that sort of thing, and it's proof of concept. It's a little bit of a flex, isn't it? So I suppose the takeaway point is is that if you're able to. Um, create a nice customer journey for people that are coming in to visit you and, and give them a nice treatment then having a decent space that looks the part yeah. is much 
more beneficial than trying to dart around having a back bedroom office and arranging meetings in coffee shops and stuff. If you've got a dedicated meeting space where you can link your laptop up to the big screen and you can take them for a presentation, get them a coffee or a free beer or something like that, I think that goes a long way. It does, um, yeah. Even for introverted digital marketing people, like most of the people are in this agency, if you can get your head around that and start to think about the journey that you're taking people on, but you know, through through you know, making a commitment really to a marketing campaign with you, then that really does go a long way. So that would be the second point. Nice and concise that one, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, should we get into the, the inner workings of mistakes you made in there? Yeah. Um, yeah, during that time too, um, I think we probably made the, the biggest mistake of our, our business careers. And it was um, uh, bringing on a third business partner. Lesson number one, uh, and I, I personally feel this should be the, the first lesson taken before any other is your business is not your piggy bank. What your business makes belongs to your business. Your business, um, if it's in a fortunate enough position, pays you. Uh, I mentioned uh, my restaurants before. Um, that was the biggest mistake that I made in that. So I, I saw you know, we were making good money each day and I thought I was rich. And then when the suppliers came knocking and we're like, okay, well, you haven't paid us for you know, bloody 50 pounds of fish. You're like, well, I blew it all at the pub. And <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I can't, let me go and find... And 50 find pounds any, of fish? Um, or 50 kilograms of fish or something oh, like that. Oh, right, I thought you meant like 50 quid worth of fish. I'm going to say, you never heard the one pound fish song, have you? <laughs> no, hello, no. ladies, hello, ladies. One pound fish, one, you never heard that? Never heard it in my that's, life. That's for another time, sorry. Yeah, Trev spends about 20% of his working hours... Um, Teaching me stuff. Showing you things that you've, yeah. Yeah, that you, I've missed okay. out growing up in Britain. Yeah. Sorry, I've totally derailed you there with my uh, one pound fish story. No, no, it's fine. It was worth it. <laughs> um, so you were saying about, um, it's not your yeah. piggy bank. Yeah, your business isn't your piggy bank. It's um, the money that your business makes does not belong to you. I think that's so important to understand from day one. Um your, your business, and I mean, it's even seen in the eyes of the law as that, where your business is your own separate entity and you are, you are paid by your business. You obviously give direction, focus, blood, sweat and tears to your business. But at the end of the day, your business um, just pays you and everything your business makes belongs to the business. So you, the, the main problem that I had with... Um, our previous business partner was, you know, we'd have a really, really, really good month and it got seen as, you know, now we can pay ourselves more. And I was, I was appalled by it. And, uh, you know, he was probably with us for about four months before, uh, before coronavirus hit. And it was an absolute arm wrestle to get him to, uh, to take a salary reduction, which we did. I mean, we were living hands mouth, you got rid of your car, all of that. Not that business had gone bad, it was just... It was just a strategic move to make sure that business didn't go bad. Like, yeah. I didn't, yeah, you're right, like, we didn't want to wait until we had to yeah. downsize our lifestyles to, you know, to actually do that. It's just that we took that as a precautionary measure to make sure that everyone's salary was covered, we were still making a profit, and we were still able to start putting money into our runway, or, like, you know, our actual, like, you know, if we lost all of our clients today have we got expenses and wages covered for six month fund yeah, yeah. that's to be, that's another lesson that trev brought on when me and him started that was his number one goal which was 
we need six months saved. If every client um, told us, no, like a Google update came out, which called We Hate Gorilla, and they de-indexed every single Gorilla client, <laughs> like, could we survive for six months and pay salaries for six months and, you know, make sure everything was all right for six months before we had to bring another penny in through the door? And I think that's a very wise lesson that um, that Trev brought on when we started too, which... Um, you know, it was our, literally our first milestone when we started was let's get our six month uh, plan out. When, when we look to hire, um, we, we, look, we always look back to that model as in um, if the I hate gorilla update comes up from Google, do we have six months saved so this person um, is, is covered by what, what we have in the bank? So yeah, that's uh, if we're getting into like agency finance and stuff like that, or small business finance. I think that's such an important lesson. Yeah, and I think that lesson is probably why we navigated COVID well. Um, do you know, it's very unfortunate that a few businesses uh, didn't quite make it, especially in the event space. We had uh, we had two clients in the event space, and um, one of them, unfortunately, they've had to close their doors, um, and the other. Um, also just stopped all spending and just um, just buckled down until there's such a time that they're able to actually uh, you know provide their service and have income coming in before that uh, they're able to potentially rejoin us after all of this so um, yeah that's um, th th that's the way well basically I'd like to go back to, uh, to or two steps back should I say is um, that was my main grief with with uh, that business partner that we had to let go and I was just it was just it just seemed like we were making as many cuts sacrifices. as sacrifices as, as we possibly could to maintain the integrity of the business and it like you say it was an arm wrestle to to try and argue the case that like look we're all taking cuts there like you know and that person was arguing that they were on the bones of the ass and bought a Range Rover and then the second that we um yeah we like the second that things started to perk up again immediately bought a brand new Range Rover so like to me, someone that had been on on the arse for the past four or five months and was just about was living hand to mouth, shouldn't have the money in the bank to buy a fucking Range Rover. But look, like that's you know, I think we learned a valuable lesson there as well, um, which you kind of summarised. So it's a good point. You, your uh, your business isn't your bank account, and um, if you just put yourself on a salary and don't treat your business's income as if that's your money. It's really going to leave money left over to a build a runway with, with, that I call it, which is like six months of expenses, salaries, that sort of thing. All of that is in the bank. Should the worst happen, you lose all your clients overnight. Um, and B, it's almost it's it's going to give you a lot of sort of like financial um, kind of frugality as well. Like you know, it's good for you to be taking money out of the business through dividends and that sort of thing. But I think that time should come when you've actually built the that you've built the engine and it's running itself. Like the business becomes self-sufficient. You've got the support staff in to deliver the service. You've got someone in to support with sales, which we'll move on to next. I think that's probably a good point to move on to, but you've got someone in to support with sales and, and you're able to like, let's say for example, you just got wiped out in a fucking badminton match or something. You took a shuttlecock to the throat and uh, you're out of business, son. That's you. Good night, nurse, as my granddad would say. And, um, you know, you're, you're out of the picture for six weeks. If that business could run itself, because um, you're not overspending and you've got the right people in, then that's, that's, that's the time where I think you're able to start taking more money. 
because yeah. it's like, well, what do I need to spend this on now? Like, if you're going to bring, you know, let, and then you go and get four more clients, obviously, then you need to hire more staff. But at a basic level, the business runs itself or is able to operate without you necessarily being in it 24-7. Yeah. And that is the time where I feel we can, that, that's when we started to take more money, isn't it? Once yeah. we had those right people in. So that was, you know, we, we've got other mates that have got their own agencies that sell websites and this and that. And it's a small team. They sell loads of websites and they take loads of fucking money. And that's great and everything if that's the size that you want to stay. But if you want to build an agency that's going to sell for millions in three to five years time, then I think you have to be willing to make those sacrifices in the early stage and understand that you're essentially building a dynamic. Self-sufficient machine. Exactly, yeah. All right, next one. Sales time, sales time, sales time. So we kind of touched on this earlier, but um, probably, this is probably one of my favorite things that we've learned, which is sales above all else. When business is good, sales. When business is bad, sales. Sales. ABC, always be closing. ABCD, always be closing. Deals. Deals, nice. (laughs) ABCDE, always be closing deals. Exceptionally. No. Every day. Every day. I like it. Always be closing deals every day. Right, let's not go through the alphabet. Um, So I think this is probably one of the things that's made the biggest impact to our business, which is, obviously we mentioned before, we've always had quite good visibility as an SEO agency. We rank very well for things like, you know, when people search in Google, SEO Manchester, SEO agencies Manchester, digital marketing Manchester, all this sort of stuff. So we got a lot of inbound inquiries through that and we've got a good visibility on different, you know, sort of entities around the internet where people typically would look for SEO agencies. So we have a good presence that way and we've always had a good number of inbound opportunities and inquiries. But until we made the leap to basically make my full-time role mostly sales, and also, as a result of the sales that that brought on, then we brought in a more experienced business development manager. I would say our rate of growth was quite slow, but I'd say since, what, October last year, our rate of growth has increased substantially. Yeah. And we've been able to put together a very, like actually a very achievable cash flow forecast that tells us what the business is gonna be worth in three to five years time. joining the agency knowledge community has been fucking fantastic because they've been able to like we we obviously we had our cash flow we was like well we know we'll consistently be able to close this amount of new business every month right but what agency nomics were able to do with their the tools and stuff that they give us access to were it was they were able to, to say well you know you'll if you're growing at this rate then in this amount of time you're going to need this many staff you're gonna need this sort of square footage of office space. Yeah. Um, this 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 is this percent of your gross profit should be spent on marketing your own agency. This percent of gross profit should be spent on staff. And it's a really good way to be able to know if you're overspending or underspending. But all of that has come as a result of having a very sales first approach to building the business. Like we know now the way that we've managed to build it that the deliverable side the pe- you know the people that are ranking the websites you and the, the rest of the team the content writers the technical seos the uh, the digital pr guys they're all really very well equipped to actually deliver the service but i think the mistake we were making early on is i was too involved in product delivery as well because i 
you know, for all those years, for a decade, was an SEO. Yeah. I was in the creative space of SEO and digital PR, so it was very difficult, I think, for me to let go. And yeah. probably I was fucking doing your editing, actually, in the early days of, like, even though my job was sales, still overbearing. I was the campaigns going, what are you doing? What about this? What about that? Because I love to, I, you know, I just like to come up with ideas and stuff. So, But I think, you know, if you are in a position where you're able to reposition either yourself or hire a business development manager, that has been one of the biggest impacts to our business that we've seen so far, I would say, in terms of our rate of growth and bringing yeah. new money in. Yeah, like one thing that we had um, always was a consistent supply of inbound leads. And it was it, because obviously myself and Trevor were involved on the deliverable side and uh, didn't, I mean, we had a bit of a flurry with someone who's able to handle the inbound, but you know, someone who it, it, they dedicated to it and they focused on it and they create a pipeline like we'd have leads come in and we'd be like fantastic this is a really good opportunity they're a good client we reckon we could smash this for them uh we we do all the audits and um, present to them and stuff and do you know that the, they wouldn't get back uh for a couple of days as most businesses wouldn't and then the next lead would come in and it would be like almost a a cycle of you know we've we just let leads go to the wayside because we weren't chasing up because we were just fo focusing on within our hour a day that's actually dedicated to the sales we were we were focusing on the next one that had just come in and we sort of let a lot of things go to the wayside yeah. and it wasn't if we weren't closing them in a, two or three weeks they'd get forgotten about and we'd move on to someone new but yeah. it's like if you actually look at the average sales cycle for people in our industry sometimes it's months Sometimes yeah. like new clients are actually waiting two, three months to see out the contract with the previous agency yeah. and they're starting to feel it out, but we just didn't have the perspective or the patience, to be honest with you, with that. I'm yeah. attention ADD'd out my fucking head <laughs> over here. So like, you know, I think we needed, and you know, Rob, who's been an absolute blessing for us, someone who's been, he's had that experience. I mean, he was at Groupon for seven years selling inspectors of the advertising space for Groupon. Yeah. And that Basically, sort of thing. We'll send you customers for a cut of the of, of the that's right yeah, yeah yeah and um he so obviously he understands selling campaigns to people and he had a very sort of strong track record of being a, a a top performer when it comes to sales and you know the good thing is with sales staff and business development people is a lot of the time they earn that their earnings is performance based yeah. so whilst his base salary is still very competitive it was his on track earnings that are very appealing to him and you know yeah. really then that that really comes down to whether or not they're actually closing deals assuming you're able to put an attractive incentive package together for them, it really comes down to whether or not they're getting you any new clients. Either they do and you make money and they make money or they don't and you don't make money and they don't and then they'll probably go somewhere else where you know the service that you're selling or the product that you're providing, it sits more comfortably within what they're actually able to sell. So I don't, I don't know if there's a concise way of rounding that lesson up, but it's just sales above all else and, and get someone that's really good at sales as well and um, i mean it was at the, the position we were in especially it was and was it was october and you know the business was i don't want to call it a knife edge because we, we were all right but as it, it was a risk for us to, to take this leap of faith and you know it's that that's and you know what let's round that off into another lesson is you know what fortune favors the brave 
Do you know if you yeah. if you're gonna make a calculated risk and even don't think about the downsides too much if you just focus on the positives and you work for the positives to become actualized then i think you know just just go for it it was a bold move like we've seen a lot of other agencies starting to put the fucking feet up and rest on like you know clients they were ranking like in our age in our industry a lot of agencies would call that rank and bank so they've just got all the websites that they've ranked they're on basic rent retention retainers the, you know, a lot of staff from other agencies were coming to us saying we've been put on furlough, you know, we're not really having any communication. A lot of people were coming to us because they've seen that we stayed active. And when all the other agencies seemed to start going dormant, we pulled the fucking trigger and we said, actually, well, why don't we get busy while everybody else is sleeping? So like, that's not all the SEO agencies mind. Like there's a lot of other SEO agencies out there that are still really active and respect to them as well, because you know, it's, it's a, the you know, big swaths of clients did go quiet and did pause. So respect to anyone that's like weathered the storm and, and not just sort of buried the red. Like we, we decided to make that move, didn't we? And yeah. um, from that time, we've been through two office change, changes. We've gone from one, in, during COVID, we've moved office twice into a bigger space and then into an even bigger space, which we're in now. So we've actually, we, we really have pulled the trigger during all this. And one last point on sales while we're on it, before we moved on is fuck outbound. Like outbound sales in our industry is so slimy and gross. Yeah. Like we've tried it. We, we like we don't like cold calling. We don't like anything like that. We tried. We experimented with some cold email campaigns, targeted email campaigns, different subject lines, and all this sort of thing. We even paid for like cold email courses and all this sort of thing, didn't we? Yeah. And it just doesn't work, mate. It doesn't matter what the people that are selling the courses say outbound in digital marketing does not work and it's not because people aren't interested it's because there's such a high volume of other people doing doing their old cold email campaigns like i get i get battered on linkedin now through linkedin's the new thing by the way linkedin sales messenger linkedin sales manager i will get in a week 30, 40 new connections, and I don't accept them as they come through. I like to play this game where I'll save up 50 connection requests or thereabouts, right? What a and cool then, guy. <laughs> what a cool <laughs> Whoa, check out the cool guy. Why, are you wearing, why aren't you wearing your sunglasses indoors, mate? Well, I'm wearing my uh, sunglasses underpants. <laughs> um, there's, so what I do is I'll save up maybe 40, 50 connection requests, but then I'll accept them all in one go. So I'll just go accept, 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 accept. And then I'll watch my inbox go dink, 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 because they've programmed it to automatically drop you a message as soon as you click with uh, accept. Hi, Daniel, thanks for connecting. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, by the way, can I sell you something? Yeah, by the way, yeah. Can I interest you in our new uh, lead generation course on LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm by the so, way, this totally works. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I'll tell you what else as well. I was going to do this as a separate episode, but I'll mention this now. You know, on YouTube, do you get battered on YouTube by. I know you've got Adblock on actually. So Ublock you, Origin. It's bait. Yeah. I haven't seen an ad in the last seven years. Right. Well, I, I don't do that. I get battered on YouTube with ads for. You're a digital marketing entrepreneur. Do you know that you can like use my sales automation platform or things for Amazon sellers? 
you know, selling things like this on Amazon is dead. The best way to sell Amazon is to sell non-physical products, eBooks, and all this shit. And I get absolutely rinsed by it, yeah. and I get I get abused by it, mate. So I f- it goes back to that thing in it of like the people that got rich in the gold rush are the people that were selling the shovels. Yeah. And it just seems to be that same sort of thing where Amazon is huge right now. Things like SEO and PPC are still big, but you it, know what I'm getting bettered with. Well, uh, there's a, a guy I actually bought his course of, uh, on Facebook advertising a couple of years ago. So I'm on his email list and he's bettering me with how to become a consultant. So not even consultants are being saturated. Yeah, so. well, that's the thing. They always go, well, you know, this is how I made my first million is through, uh, you know, mastering Amazon Marketplace or mastering how to sell ebooks. And I was like, mate, if you've made millions through selling an Amazon, why the fuck are you selling me a course for seven hundred dollars? Why are you wasting? Why are you wasting your time on me? Like, shouldn't yeah. you have your feet your feet up on a beach somewhere? Like, do you know what I mean? I just find it a little bit. Yacht in Monaco. By the way, we've got a client who does yachts in Monaco. Don't name them, mate. The SEO, the SEO agencies are cutthroat. They'll be straight yeah. after. No, I was just gonna say, if you need a yacht in Monaco, we can hook you up. Oh yeah, we'll sort you out with a, a yacht in uh, Saint Tropez. Saint Tropez. Okay. So there we go, mate. Right, I'm surprising you with the uh, the last bit of the podcast. You were looking at your phone when I started to record. So surprise, we need to round it off. Um, uh, I think that we've said everything that we've got yeah. to share. I think there's probably lots more that we can share and teach people in future episodes. But for now, there's probably a few good things there that we've taught people. And fuck outbound. <laughs> it's cringy and it makes you look like a call centre. Stop doing it. Stop cold emailing me. Stop cold calling me. Just have a good portfolio and have a good presence online. You're supposed to be a digital marketing agency, so digitally marketing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> digitally market yourself. You can't do it for yourself and you can't do it for clients. Don't use the cobbler's shoes analogy. I'm, so, I'm too busy fixing everybody else's shoes, mate, to make, polish my own. I'm too busy making everybody else's websites look good and, my, and everybody else's websites appear in the search engines to promote myself. That's bullshit, man. Market yourself. You're a marketer. You want marketing clients, be good at marketing yourself. And I'd yeah. say that's probably a nice, fairly hostile note to end it on. But I mean, we're trying to keep it energetic, aren't we? Woo! They, that's, <laughs> I can't believe you've done that. You've shown me up there. Um, but I hope that this has been somewhat educational. Again, I yeah. promised you a guest uh, in the first episode. I ventured, stuck with me. <laughs> I, I, I ventured out as far as just outside my office to find, to find one. But um, obviously, Kyle, being my business partner, is got a lot of uh, picked up a lot of lessons along the way, the same as I have, and he's got his own perspective on everything. So I think this is a fairly uh, ideal uh, first guest to have on the podcast. I've got someone specific in mind for the second episode. I'm not going to tell. Oh, sorry, the third episode, the second guest for the third episode. <laughs> yeah, um, this never happened. <laughs> So um, I hope you will come back and join us again in episode three of the Ape Shit Podcast. But until then, um, say what's like a good monkey pun. Um, until then, go bananas. Go bananas, I like that. And don't peel yourself. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you later. See you later. <laughs>